This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. In the news this week, we will tell you about the cars, trucks, and SUVs that their owners are most emotionally involved with. Let me tell you, there's some surprises, so you'll want to stick around for that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jackie Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based in Maine. I'm based in Southern California. And I'm always looking for a Maine weather report. What's going on in Maine, Chris? <laughs> it's quite rainy and humid here right now. But uh, the interesting thing is we're at the end of the summer, so all the tourists are leaving. Uh, so it's a little bit more traffic than normal, if, that, if you want a traffic report, too. So there's that. I like that. Are, are locals cheering that the, uh, the out-of-towners are uh, getting out of town? Or are they kind of sad that uh, it's going get, to get a little duller around there? <laughs> It's a double-edged sword. You know, you, you kind of hate to see them go because it does mean winter is coming, but we also need them here for, for many reasons. So uh, both happy and sad, I guess. <laughs> happy and sad. It's our life, isn't it? Well, Chris, as I say, is in Maine, and I'm in Southern California. We test cars across the country. I just had a chance to drive a, the new Volkswagen Tiguan, the 2022 version of it, just yesterday up in Malibu, not too far from where I live. So... We have that going for us, and Chris is always testing things in Maine and, and also testing the Maine roads on top of that. Uh, this week we have a very special guest for you. His name is Bob Welby. He is the Infinity Senior Director for Operations, and he'll tell us all about what's going on at Infinity, and in particular about the new Infinity QX60, their midsize luxury SUV, three-row. In the road test segment, Chris, tell us what you're going to be taking a look at. I drove the uh, Hyundai Santa Fe Calligraphy. Ah, the top level, I think, of the Hyundai Santa Fe. And, of course, that is a uh, sport utility as well. I will give my review of a sports car, the Toyota GR Supra 2.0. So that's coming up for us. And uh, we'll have some latest news for you, news of the auto industry next. So stay with us for that. And thanks for being with us right here on America on the Road. With Chris Teague, this is Jack D. Red with you, and we look forward to talking to you again right after the break. Welcome back to America on the Road. With Chris Teague, this is Jack D. Red with you, and we have some news for you. This is the news portion of America on the Road, and we're so happy you're with us. We, we do appreciate it. Do you want to know what vehicles people are most emotionally involved in? Well, we have that answer for you, and basically this is about vehicles they like. J.D. Power has put together a new uh, survey, a new study, the 2021 Automotive Performance Execution Layout and Appeal Study. And um, what it has found is there are a lot of vehicles out there that people are really emotionally involved with, and many of them are new launches, vehicles that were launched uh, in 2021 or for the 2021 model year. And that has raised the level of Emotional appeal for uh, the entire industry uh, among those vehicles are the Chevy Tahoe, the Ford Bronco Sport, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, the Nissan Sentra. Yes, the Nissan Sentra, people are emotionally involved in that. And this is one that Chris Teague will like a lot, the Toyota Sienna. I know you have a great deal of emotional involvement 
in that minivan, don't you, Chris? Yeah, I don't know how much longer we can drag on the <laughs> the minivan jokes, but yeah, I do love minivans. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think we could probably drag them on for years and years and years <laughs> if we're doing it right. The study asks respondents to consider 37 vehicle attributes, and they range from the sense of comfort they feel when they uh, get in the driver's seat to the joy they feel when they step on the gas. So again, it's emotional involvement. And uh, here's some takeaways. Uh, Mass market brands, that's your average brand out there like Toyota, Chevrolet, Ford, have really increased their appeal uh, over the last year. And they're catching up with luxury brands. Uh, Luxury brands have a, I think, kind of an inherent advantage in emotional appeal, right? I mean, people are buying luxury vehicles not just uh, for transportation, but for the emotional lift that they get from owning those cars and but i think mass market cars are catching up what's your take on that chris i think it's right you know you look at some of the uh, luxury brands porsche i mean people buy porsche almost exclusively for the emotional appeal so uh very good for them one of the surprising things here for me and it is a mass market brand but the nissan maxima uh really killed it in this study as well as the jd power initial quality study so uh it seems that people both really enjoy the uh, nissan maxima and that is built well uh, at least well enough to avoid major problems within the first 90 days. Yeah, absolutely true. And, uh, you know, there is somebody in the industry, and maybe that's a little bit of inside baseball, that if you build a car that has great initial quality, that quality over the first 90 days of ownership, that that's going to be probably kind of a boring car, or that's that's the easiest way to get high quality. But I think the maximum uh, Maxima proves that to be incorrect, because it does both. It has high uh, initial quality, and then people love it. Of course, not everybody loves it. I'm not even sure that uh, uh, folks like us who review cars really love it. I I certainly like it. I think a Maxima is a good car. Is it something that I would get emotionally involved with? I'm not certain about that. But what this proves is Maxima owners really like their Maximas. And I think that's important. I agree. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. It illustrates the gap between sometimes the, the media and the actual buyers and what we, we enjoy. I mean, we talk about how much we all love station wagons and my personal uh, affinity for minivans, which is not shared by a huge portion of the car buying public as evidenced by the few number, the small number of vans on sale. But it is interesting to see. One thing that I'm impressed by is Dodge. And I always love to see it because you know, Dodge is a small brand. They only make two or three vehicles or three or four vehicles, whatever. Uh, but the ones they do make, uh, the muscle cars, you have the Challenger and the Charger, uh, people seem to really connect with those cars. And, and that shows in the study. I think absolutely true. And I think Dodge uh, kind of is all built on emotion, right? I mean, they're not necessarily rational cars to buy the Dodge Challenger, the Dodge Charger, not uh, the Durango, but they are visceral. They are the kind of cars that get you excited. And I think that's why they score so well in appeal. And Dodge has done a great job in appeal. And it also has done a very good job in product quality. It was, it not only led the mass market brands in appeal, this, uh, thing that measures emotion, but it was a close second in IQS in the initial quality study. So it does both. And, uh, like the Maxima, it does both, and, and pretty interesting. Let's go over some of the uh, some of the individual vehicles uh, that won awards. Well, this this might be interesting too. I mean, 
This is maybe not necessarily intuitive to those of us who test cars for a living either. The brands, or not brands, but actually the car companies, the car manufacturers that won the most segment awards. Uh, General Motors Company is number one. It had five segment winners, including the Cadillac CT5, the Chevrolet Blazer, Chevrolet Corvette, the Chevy Tahoe we've already talked about, and the GMC Sierra HD, the heavy-duty version of the Sierra. That's a pretty big win for General Motors, and General Motors vehicles aren't necessarily all that acclaimed by the typical reviewer out there, are they? Yeah, I agree, and I guess, you know, it's hard to put a hard to put a, a feeling or an explanation behind that, I guess the best way to say it. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of brand loyalty behind General Motors. A lot of people continue to buy them uh, for years and years and families, you know, buy them. But I can see it behind the Corvette and maybe the Tahoe. But uh, I think I'm surprised by the Sierra HD and the Blazer. Uh, I mean, they're both good vehicles. But uh, as you say, neither are especially critically acclaimed. Right, right. Uh, another uh, manufacturer that did particularly well this year in this appeal study from J.D. Power is BMW, and it, it really is kind of uh, kicking butt and taking names uh, in the SUV side. The X4, the X6, and the X7 were all segment leaders. Now, you could say the X4 and X6 are, are very highly styled vehicles. They're kind of coupe-like SUVs, so that probably gets people's juices flowing. And then you have the uh, the large X7. What's your take on BMW this time around? Yeah, I can see, you know, three of their four vehicles that, that one on the list here are crossovers or SUVs. You know, as you mentioned, the X4 and 6 are highly styled. Uh, the X7, you know, maybe, maybe that's an aspirational vehicle. It's an expensive vehicle. It's definitely a status symbol. So people buy that and, you know, feel like they've kind of made it in life. I'm not really sure. Maybe I'm putting my own opinions behind it. But uh, I can see that. The 4 Series is a nice car. Uh, it's surprising to see that in place of a three or a five series, though. Yeah, interesting. I guess those people just like their vehicles a little bit more than the three or five series folks do. Uh, another big winner in appeal was Ford Motor Company, at least with their launches. Uh, and we talked, and I think you reviewed the Ford Mustang Mach-E uh, last time around in, in the last episode of America on the Road. And that was a segment winner. And then the Ford Bronco Sport, uh, another launch. So Ford Motor Company is launching some exciting vehicles. And I think people are excited about those those vehicles. And I think you probably are, too. Yeah, and rightfully so. You know, I, I gave the, the Mach-E good marks just last week, I think. And so the Bronco Sport as well. We talked about that a few months ago. And both have been uh, solid vehicles and, and surprisingly so. So um, I can understand where those how those made their, their spots on the list. Absolutely true. Well, that's the U.S. appeal study from J.D. Power. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff about uh, vehicles that are exciting to people. And uh, Chris, I think you probably have a story for us too, don't you? I do. And this is something that's exciting to me in terms of electric vehicles and the, the growth that they're seeing in the market. And Mercedes-Benz is one brand that uh, a few months ago came out and said, you know, we're going to make a shift to electrification. They put dates behind it, as many automakers have, Ford and General Motors have done the same. Uh, this week in Germany is the uh, IAA Mobility Show. Uh, it's kind of a car show that takes place and the automakers bring uh, all sorts of funny stuff. And this is one that's been exciting for people since it was canceled last year. Uh, one of the models they brought, though, that I'm excited about that I think you probably may agree or disagree, but it's, it's the EQB electric SUV. And now this is their uh, the EQ line. They've they've already announced the EQS, which is a flagship sedan. Uh, we'll see the EQE, which is uh, sort of a, a next level down 
sedan, but the EQB is a five-seater SUV with seating for up to seven. Uh, they're realistic about the third row seating. If you buy the optional seats, they say it's only good for adults or kids up to five feet, four inches tall, uh, which I think is nice to, to finally get that out in the open there. Uh, they're initially going to offer it in two different trims or two different uh, powertrains, both of which are all-wheel drive, one with 225 horsepower and the other with 288. Um, one of the things I think is really neat is their battery technology, and there, there was a lot of talk around this with AMG uh, with their performance batteries, but uh, the, in, the infotainment system and navigation, uh, if you're using that to guide your, your route on the highway or wherever you're going, uh, if you're approaching a charging station, the battery will heat or cool itself to reach the ideal temperature so that it charges uh, most efficiently and most quickly, uh, which I thought was really neat. But what do you think about the whole EQ line, Jack? Uh, well, I think it's really interesting, and I think that's something that we're going to have to uh, pay attention to because certainly Mercedes-Benz wants to get some of that luxury EV business. And when we come back, we're going to be taking a look at two road test vehicles, the Hyundai Santa Fe and the Toyota GR Supra 2.0. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. With Chris Teague, Jack Nerad back with you, and it is road test time. We're excited about road test time. I guess we're always excited about road test time, but we're particularly excited this time because we have a cross-section of vehicles for you. One of the most popular vehicle types, the uh, sport utility vehicle. Uh, Chris is testing the Hyundai Santa Fe. I'm going to be taking a look at the Toyota GR Supra 2.0. It's a sports car, two-seat sports car, something we don't do all that often on America on the Road. So got our juices flowing. But Chris, tell us all about the Hyundai Santa Fe. Yeah, I, I enjoyed my week with the Santa Fe. I tested the, uh, as I talked about earlier, the calligraphy trim, which is the top of the line uh, trim. It comes in around $43,000. Hyundai offers the Santa Fe in several different versions and different powertrain configurations. But the base engine is a 2.5 liter four cylinder. It makes around 100, doesn't make around, it makes 191 horsepower. Uh, but the, the version I tested came with a turbocharged 2.5 liter engine. It made uh, 281 horsepower, 311 pound feet of torque. Uh, it's got an eight speed dual clutch automatic transmission. Uh, and this is an interesting pairing. We've talked about it a couple of times about how uh, Hyundai and Kia's dual clutch is uh, an excellent, excellent pairing to a lot of their their engines and uh, I felt a little bit differently with this one uh, although I didn't think it was awful I think that the eight-speed uh, was a little bit clunky around town which is where I think this thing is going to be driven the most but in any case uh, this is a very uh, strongly accelerating vehicle uh, cruises very quietly at highway speeds there's plenty of power for in-town driving uh, and even with the transmission it still gets its acting gear and and gets going when it needs to uh, the calligraphy trim comes with a 10.25-inch uh, touchscreen with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. This is wired Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, and the smaller screens that come in the lower trim levels offers wireless, and I've been told that that's uh, just a sort of a logistics and a location uh, issue that they can't fit the wireless module in, in the larger screen size. I will say that for such a, for such a, for a, such a large vehicle, it's a responsive vehicle. It feels surprisingly quick, uh, handles well, the ride is smooth, uh, we weren't taking it on any autocross courses, but uh, here on the country roads in Maine and the back roads, it, it handles itself surprisingly well, Jack. And I don't know if you've driven the Santa Fe, uh, but I'd love to get your opinion on how it rides and how it handles in uh, Southern California. Uh, I think probably handles about like it handles in Maine, which is very good. I, I, I like the vehicle a lot. It's always interesting to me, Chris, because I think it's 
it's our points of view, right? I'm coming from big vehicles, and I don't think the Santa Fe is all that large. You're coming from smaller vehicles, and it, you know it's large to you, and that that just shows that you know different people have different points of view, and that's why we do the show uh, you know, for for various folks. I I think this vehicle handles just like a uh, a midsize SUV buyer would like it to handle, which is kind of defaulting to comfortable ride as opposed to really sharp handling. And to, to hold it up to sports car handling kind of uh, parameters is, is kind of silly for this vehicle. And, and you're certainly not doing that. I think you test these vehicles the way they should be tested. This is a family vehicle and uh, you test it with your family, which makes a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. One of the things I will say, you know, handling aside, I was truly impressed by how quiet this vehicle is on the highway uh, in town. You know, I live in a small, if you want to call it metro area, there are about 10,000 people here. But even in traffic, the little bit that we do have, it's surprisingly quiet. It's just a very serene, relaxing interior. Uh, the leather seats and the calligraphy trim are exceptionally comfortable. They're very well padded, very deep for my large American backside. Uh, plenty of room in the second row. So this is a two-row SUV. So plenty of room in the second row for kids in car seats. Um, one thing I did find that I found a little, uh, one thing that I did notice that I found a little bit uh, irritating was the, the cargo load height. So it's a little bit tall. So for my wife, we went to the greenhouse loading a flower, a large pot into the back. She had a little bit of trouble getting it up. She's about five feet tall, getting it up into the back of the, the SUV. I didn't have any trouble re loading it in, but one thing I did find is that the the taller the cargo uh, didn't have the greatest uh, ride experience in the back of the, the Santa Fe, although there is plenty of uh, sort of horizontal and, and front to back space that could be a little bit taller, especially for people who like to go pick up flowers, like I said. Uh, the very last day I had it, which was this morning, I gave it back. As I was cleaning out the back, I noticed that you can remove the cover and there are large sort of bends underneath the back cargo floor, which I wish I'd known about, which would have made it a lot easier uh, to load those large items in. But by uh, overall, you know, there's plenty of room for the kids, as I said, in a very comfortable and quiet ride. So I'm impressed. And uh, for $43,000, I think you get your money's worth with the Santa Fe calligraphy. I think it is a very good car. I like the calligraphy trim. It has all the bells and whistles. And of course, we like bells and whistles, don't we? I don't know if the <laughs> consumer likes paying for bells and whistles. But as car reviewers, we certainly like driving the vehicles with all the bells and whistles. I uh, was driving a vehicle that didn't necessarily have all the bells and whistles, at least all the bells and whistle whistles of the Toyota GR Supra. Um, because it was kind of the lesser version of that. But I think it's a, a heck of a good value version, and it's an all-new version. It is the GR Supra 2.0. This is the first four-cylinder version of the Supra. Uh, it offers 255 horsepower, and it's lighter weight. It's just simpler uh, than the uh, other Supra. Uh, the, and, of course, there is an, a, a top-of-the-line Supra that is the Supra A91 edition, very, very snazzy. The Super 2.0 starts at, as I said, about $43,000, which is a, about $7,000 less than the 3.0, the one with the six-cylinder engine. Of course, we, we must mention that uh, BMW played a big part in the engineering of all the Supras. And when you get into the vehicle, although it says Toyota on it, <laughs> there's a lot of BMW in the interface uh, when you're say pairing your phone, it's a BMW kind of connection, uh, those kind of things. So uh, that's a little bit of uh, cross-cultural stuff. I think it's wise of Toyota to offer this 2.0. I think uh, something at this price point, uh, it's, it's a really fun vehicle. I had a 
Mazda RX-7 back in the day. Uh, I actually worked for Mazda for uh, a little bit of time back in the 90s, and I had a good time with it. And I think these two-seat coupe sports cars are a blast, uh, a lot of fun. And I like the way the Super 2.0 handled. It's plenty quick, 0 to 60 in 5 seconds. It's not supercar kind of performance, but very, very good. Handles beautifully well. And it is electronically limited to 155 miles per hour. I did not try that on the Pacific Coast Highway uh, when I was driving it yesterday, test driving it yesterday. Just want to make that clear. What's your take on the Supra, Chris? I totally agree with your your take on the 2.0. I think it is wise for them to offer it. And I'll make a comparison to Dodge, as we were talking about in the last segment. So Dodge makes uh, the Challenger and Charger Hellcat, but they also make... Uh, the Charger and Challenger with a 392. And when you're driving those two back to back, it's clear that the extra power is very nice to have, but the smaller engine, the lesser power uh, unit delivers a more engaging driving experience because you're able to manage the road and manage the the steering and the handling as opposed to managing the powertrain. And so as much as I love the three liter engine in the uh, in the Super 3.0, it's it could be a little bit of a handful, especially on tight turns. You know, it's got a lot of torque, and you have to really pay attention to where you're putting your foot. Uh, so I haven't driven the 2.0 liter engine yet, but I can see how that would give it a little bit better handling, a little bit more engaging driving experience because you're spending more time sort of engaging with the car than you are managing the power and where your right foot is. I really like the balance of the 2.0. I think it, it's terrifically well-balanced and that lightweight. Um, it's, a, it's a simpler car in, in many, many ways. For, for instance, uh, the seats are manually adjustable as opposed to having a 14-way power adjustment, that kind of thing. They've lightened the car by 200 pounds, and that's like you know taking a, a large person out of the passenger seat. Uh, which is, is kind of a good thing, or depending, maybe you like that 200-pound person in the passenger seat and would like to travel with them. So there is a significant difference in horsepower between the Super 3.0 and the 2.0, as you might guess. The 3.0-liter has an inline-six, turbocharged inline-six, 335 horsepower, and maybe uh, going up to, uh, well, most recently, that was the original 335 horsepower. It is now 382 horsepower. That's a 14% increase in to- horsepower. And also torque has gone up. So they've upgraded the vehicle in just the first year of operation. So that's good. But adding the four-cylinder, the turbocharged four-cylinder, I think is a, a really good idea. Uh, it has the eight-speed automatic uh, transmission with paddle shifters, just as the 3.0 does. So uh, you can shift it yourself if you want to. It does a very good job of, of shifting it by itself, uh, very often better than, than the typical driver can do. It has the same twin scroll turbo and direct fuel injection. It also has continuously variable timing on both intake and exhaust camshafts. So it's a very sophisticated engine. And I think it's an engine that owes a lot to BMW as opposed to Toyota. Uh, 255 horsepower at 5,000 to 6,500 RPM and almost 300 pound-feet of peak torque. And that peak torque is available through quite of the rev range, 1,550 RPM to 4,400 RPM. What do you think about uh, the 2.0 versus the 3.0, Chris? I'm actually not uh, opposed to the BMW involvement. I think if it takes BMW to get a Supra, then I'm happy to have a Supra, BMW or not. Uh, I think that you know, you mentioned the the lack or the the drop in power between the three and the two liter. Uh, I think you know 
having two levels of the car is only going to help them sell more, especially for younger people who don't want to spring for the full 50 grand to get into a, a three liter Supra. You know, the car itself, the interior is very comfortable. It's got a surprising amount of space behind the seats in the hatchback there. So, you know, it's more than more than enough space for two people to enjoy a road trip. And there's a lot of room in the back for bags and not pets and things, obviously, because you wouldn't want to throw them in the in the hatchback. But uh, I think, you know, the car itself, the body and the the styling and the space is plenty. So uh, the having the two engine options is, is smart and also a great thing for buyers. Here's something I scratch my head about and I'd like your take on it. Which would you buy? Would you spring for the extra seven or eight thousand dollars or would you uh, go for the 2.0 and uh, spend, you know, 42 grand or so? Having driven the three liter engine in that car, I think I would probably spring for the larger one only because it's just such a hilarious experience to stomp your foot down and get going in that thing. So I think for me, it would be the three liter, but I can't fault anyone for choosing the smaller engine. I think it's a great choice. And when we come back, we will be talking with Bob Welby of Infinity. He is one of the managers of the Infinity brand. So we'll be speaking with him about what's going on at Infinity and the new Infinity QX60. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you, and we're on location somewhere outside Petaluma, California, I think. With us is Bob Welby. What, uh, what a great guest we have for you. Bob Welby is uh, Senior Director of uh, Infinity Operations in North America. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, and thanks so much for hosting this event. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Jack. Tell us a bit about what we're taking a look at today because it's the latest Infinity product that's coming to market and I think you're pretty excited about it. You've got a nice smile on your face about it. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, it's hard to hide the smile. So yeah, we're happy to bring to market uh, our all new QX60, uh, our three row premium SUV. Uh, and we're here uh, giving you and your colleagues an opportunity for our first drive around the area. Yeah, well, it's uh, a terrific vehicle um, and a terrific opportunity, I think, for Infinity because this is such a um, very hot segment within the luxury market, right? I mean, this this size vehicle. So tell us what you think the opportunity looks yeah, like. Yeah, it really is. It's um, Our research tells us this area of the premium space uh, is really rich. Three-row premium SUV uh, for young, growing, and even older families, it really, really works well. So there's, we think there's a really strong market and opportunity for a premium execution in this space. Talk a bit about what you do to make something premium, right? Because that's a, a critical area for yes. you, right? And you you have a mass market brand that's closely associated where you're drawing some uh, some mechanical parts, certainly. So, you know, tell us how you use what you are offered and then make it premium for uh, this kind of buyer. Yeah, excellent. Well, it all starts with the customer. Right, that's where it has to start for us. And in the premium space specifically, um, our customers speak pretty clearly, which is which is really wonderful. So there's a there's a real keen desire for um, not only the, the functionality, but just luxury and design. So there's design, there's comfort, but also with that useful technology that really helps you pardon the hashtag, conquer life and style. Um, so that's really around, around the execution. And this is areas where you see it in the vehicle, both exterior and interior. Right, you've got a vehicle here that is both stylish, but it also has to be functional. It's a three-row vehicle. As you mentioned, a lot of families will have this vehicle. I'm, I, I call myself Mr. Three-Row. I, you know, I've had three-row vehicles for 25 years. I have a 25-year-old daughter, uh, among others, who uh, populated our three-row vehicles at, at home. So 
Tell us how those two mesh in the uh, QX60. Yeah, well, it works for us well where you have to deliver this, this level of comfort and design for each of the three rows. So we love the three rows as well, and we love all the passengers in the three row. Certainly, it starts with the driver, you know, in that front seat and the comfort of those seats. You see it in the beauty and the layout of the dash, really in the simplicity and the elegance. You see technology in big 12.3-inch screens, both in front of the dashboard as well as over the center console. Uh, but then in the comfort section, the seats are absolutely wonderful, including massaging front seats that really take care of your front passengers. And then really it extends into that second and third row. The second row with plenty of legroom, you know, adjustable seats and even heated seats as necessary uh, with some nice automatic temperature control back there. And it doesn't stop because you get it in the third row as well. Um, we love our third row. We call it ingress and egress. How easily you can get in and out of the third row, uh, which is important for families. Uh, and then some nice comfort back then, including USB chargers for devices. Right. And devices are so important these days. And infotainment is important. And you have big screens, uh, certainly, uh, in this vehicle. Tell us how, you know, how important you think that is uh, to this buyer. Yeah, we think it is. Our customers tell us quite often quite frequently, right? Not only the technology, right, but the integration of it with the uh, the car itself. So we mentioned design a little bit, but from a functionality perspective, uh, wireless CarPlay uh, has been a key thing and a key desire for a lot of our customers, uh, along with wireless charging. So that's a, a nice key combination there that allows that seamless cell phone integration into your operation, whether it's for maps, directions, any kind of communications that you do. That's really uh, what we've seen consistently is a key feature that customers are asking for. And it seems like the usability is really good. Uh, there are some infotainment systems that are hard to operate. They're non-intuitive, yes. <laughs> quite the opposite of intuitive, right? Mm -hmm. Force you to go through several screens. It's It strikes me that what you have put together here is the opposite of that. Uh, tell us how you've been able to do that. Yeah, this, this, this comes to, I'd say, probably hundreds and hundreds of hours of testing uh, with our engineers and listening to our consumers, getting their feedback directly on what does it look like to develop something that's really user intuitive, either from the touch screen itself or from an optional dial, um, and really at the same time still keeping that kind of very, not only a seamless look, but it helps that intuitive feel of knowing right where to go to touch the screen or which dial to reach for uh, right near the shift knob. And the integration of it is uh, really excellent. Uh, I used it with uh, my iPhone, the uh, uh, CarPlay integration, very, very good. And of course, it's wireless yes. uh, is, is, is a great opportunity for folks too. And it makes it so simple. You walk in with the, the phone in your pocket and it's paired and off you go. So, so that's a nice thing. I hope you're able to charge it as well with the wireless charger. Yeah, yeah. Keep, yeah. Good, keep good juice in the phone. Yeah, absolutely. You have to do that. I mean, it's, uh, they're our critical lifelines, aren't they? <laughs> Let's talk a bit about the driving experience. This is a car that you, know, you put us on pretty challenging roads uh, today, uh, which I thought was uh, brave, <laughs> a good thing to do. So uh, tell us what you were trying to capture in the driving experience for this kind of buyer. Yeah, it's, um, thank you for that. And um, I'm glad we put you on the challenging roads. We wanted to capture as much of the life of our consumers, right? They're on different kinds of roads, different kinds of settings in their daily lives, either commuting to and from work, either activities with the family. So having that broad variety was really important right and hopefully what you experience is really a confident 
command of the driving experience and that gets into a lot of the features and the technologies in the car um, from the the steering setup in the car that electric power steering that allows for you know a comfortable comfortable feeling command around the curves you know the the chassis of the vehicle itself getting into the nuts and bolts really thoughtfully executed to get for that that not only comfortable but that confident drive as well and then we can step into even the safety technologies uh, which really help enhance that that command and confidence well and that seems to be a very critical this is a family vehicle i mean what's more important to you than your children right uh, so uh, keeping them safe talk a bit about the safety technology that's yeah. available so the uh, the safety suite uh, we call pro pilot assist and it has a variety of safety features we have names for all of them uh, <laughs> but the, but there's really a, a lot it's of like people call, I mean, you know, everybody has a name <laughs> everyone they? has yeah. them we have names we have our features we call them our, our active systems and our passive systems both work there our passive systems are more warning based so you have uh, forward collision warning systems we have a, a system called predictive forward collision warning that can actually sense two cars in front of you if there's an imminent crash coming So it's out. looking beyond what you can see in a lot of That's ways. That's correct. Right? The yeah. car in front of the car in front of you, if there's a quick abrupt braking there, the system will alert you, give you a warning before possibly the car in front of you even knows that. Yeah. So systems like that, um, as well as uh, other ones you've seen about lane departure warnings when you're when you're turning, finding in the blind spot support, um, there are systems like that all around the vehicle that really help. And then there are really some just very practical ones when it comes to parking features. I'm a huge fan of the around view monitor. Uh, when you're parking in a tight spaces, having to be able to look completely around the car and navigate into that tight spot where someone may be parked a little bit too close to the line. You know, I have a picket store. fence in front of my house. And I have to park close to that picket fence because, you know, our, our roadway where I live is very narrow. And having that overview, that uh, amazing overview, the, you, you don't know quite how it's synthesized, but it is, uh, is just uh, an incredible boon, isn't it? It's wonderful. I use it all the time. And later on, I can show you exactly how they do it where the cameras are hidden there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can walk me through that and, and all the algorithms in there. I think there's probably algorithms. <laughs> there's I'm, one or two, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. that are involved in that. Talk a bit about uh, the ability to use child safety seats. I mean, that's critical. Obviously, uh, in a three-row, you're going to have kids and maybe young kids that are in safety seats, and uh, you make that very simple, too. Yeah, well, that's um, that's been a hallmark of ours. We've been really popular with families since the first execution of this vehicle, and we've been able to even take it a little bit to the next level. So in that second row uh, we have a power sliding and tilting second row that allows you access to the third row but where it gets really important for us is with a lot of our customers have child seats so whether the child seat is a rearward facing child and seat, most of them have children and they do most <laughs> of them are in there they yeah. do now that ability so while a, while a car seat is installed in the vehicle you can still slide the seats and have access to the third row so really allowing for that that flexibility once a car seat is in there it is not the easiest thing in the world to take out or, or maneuver once you once it's in there you know boy I know because I have put more car seats into cars than you would imagine. Uh, having a test car every week, you have a tendency to do that a lot. Uh, so uh, I'm well experienced in that, and I, I love that feature. What are some of the features that excite you about the QX60? I mentioned it briefly before. I'm a fan of the a lot of the the display technology, right? So the uh, I've mentioned the the big 12.3 inch screens, right, behind the steering wheel, you know, as well as the center stack that are configurable. But I also love the heads up display. I've become a big fan of that. Uh, and with the integrations there, if I'm navigating someplace or if you have a destination popped in there, your turn by turn direction are showing up on this full color right on. Your That's screen. how I showed up here. Uh, it That's was <laughs> it was in the head up display. I managed to get here following the directions, and it worked out perfectly well. So. That's great. So that's great stuff.
Let's talk a bit about powertrain. It's, yeah. It seems like I, I don't get to powertrain as quickly as I used to because powertrains are quite good. Sure. Uh, but, but talk a bit about what you offer here. We love powertrains too and we love improving them too. Yeah. So in this execution we're excited for our, our powerful V6 engine, this 295 horsepower V6 engine. It's coupled to a 9-speed automatic transmission that is new for us. Uh, and I think what, you're, what you would have felt and you're going to feel later today is just that confident acceleration that you have in there not only from from a stopping position but in a highway passing situation you have you know a really confident available power um, that helps you really just navigate the situation yeah i mean you always feel like you're in the right gear you never feel like you're being tripped up by the transmission at least Mm -hmm. that's what i experienced today so that was very good and you also offer driving modes Mm -hmm. right and and this is an all-wheel drive vehicle i think across the board right Yes, yeah, we have a front-wheel drive okay, option there available is a front, as well. Okay. Uh-huh. But we, yeah, you are outfitted with all-wheel all drive units today. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, there is this uh, this drive mode selector where there are several drive modes, including a sport mode, including a personal mode, where you can where the user can change settings of the feel of the steering wheel and the accelerator. And uh, when does it come to market? When are we going to see QX60 in, in Infinity stores? Very soon and not <laughs> soon enough. So we expect it's going to be early this fall. Okay. Do, has the chip shortage uh, affected supply at all for the vehicle? It's been affecting everybody. It's been a pretty dynamic situation for the industry. You know, right. So we've seen situations like that. But unfortunately for, for Infinity, the corporation has, has continued to do everything that they can. And we've helped to make this vehicle a priority um, to ensure that we can get this thing to market uh, as soon as we can and into consumers' hands. What do you think are some of your competitive advantages? First, there's a, <laughs> really a lot of three-row luxuries out there now. Sure. Uh, what do you think you bring to the party that others are not necessarily? Yeah, there's... There's that this long list of features that we talk about, but the place I like to start is that it's really a complete package. So when you think about design, comfort, and technology, there's a suite of packages around there that when you stack them all up, it really has a holistic type of offering. So we've talked about the look of the car itself, which is fabulous. We've talked specifically about some of the technologies that are in there. Um, and that what we find in that space there, we find that we are hyper competitive uh, in terms of that holistic offering for our key customers. And one of the things you seem to do is really... Um I, I almost want to say ladle on, but that that, that doesn't that's prob- <laughs> probably not the the right verb to use. But you know, you have incorporated a lot of luxury into this vehicle, uh, a lot of luxury touches where it feels differentiated, right? And it feels upscale. Talk yes. a bit about that. Yeah, well, you had mentioned that, right? And then we talked about the, the customer in this segment and really starting with the customer. There are three-row offerings in the marketplace, right? So it's really important to us to listen for the premium customer and that luxury feel is important to them. You know, the one of the vehicles you're driving today is called the Autograph Trim. Uh, and just one example of that interior luxury is these quilted leather seats that we carry the quilting pattern up into the dash, right? Where it really has this handsome layout and really gives I mean, that's kind of like a Ferrari touch, really. I mean, that is, that's not just a, a luxury touch. That is a super luxury beyond kind of touch. I'll take right? that as a compliment. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, I, th- I think you, know, you can take that as a compliment. And these days, when you get something even remotely like a, comp- a compliment, you, you should take it. At least that's the way I feel about it. <laughs> and so received. Thank yeah, you. exactly. Well, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about this before we... Uh, 
Yeah, I'd say, the well, interview. I hope they have a chance to experience it. You know, there, there's plenty of information available online where they can see images and, and contact their retailer, and hopefully they get a chance uh, to sit in and experience everything you and I have talked about. Well, and you, you've told us that uh, consumers are pretty excited about this vehicle. You know, they've heard rumors, they've seen stuff, they've heard stuff on America on the Road about it before. Yes. Uh, so they're excited about it. Uh, that's going to make you feel pretty good about the success. Uh, it feels fabulous. Success. The team's excited. Our retailer partners, they're excited. There's just a lot of positive energy around this, and uh, we're all going to be excited to see the first ones out there on the road. Yeah, I can't wait to see them, too. I can't wait to drive it in my local neighborhood and show off to the <laughs> snotty rich people that I live around. <laughs> and uh, that will be fun. So, uh, Bob Welby, thanks so much for being with us. We do, really do appreciate it. Thank you again for the opportunity, Jack. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Christine Jackney Red back with you. And it is listener question time as we come to the end of this edition of America on the Road. And Chris, I believe you have a listener question for us. I do. This one's from Jason in Phoenix, Arizona. He wants to know our thoughts on the Mazda CX-30 Turbo. Jack, I, I know we've both driven it, so what are your thoughts? We have both driven it, and I think we've reviewed it on the show. I think it's a, a really good vehicle. I like the turbocharged version, of course, because I love the 250 horsepower. Uh, we were talking about the Toyota Supra a little earlier in the show, and uh, it just gets your juices going to have that much horsepower. What's your take on the uh, CX-30? Yeah, I think it's an excellent subcompact. As you say, the turbo engine truly transforms that vehicle. It's It feels like a rocket ship with that engine under the hood. It's got an upscale interior, more than, more space than you would think from such a small vehicle, um, and, and plenty of cargo space. So if you're in the market for a subcompact, I think that's a great choice. Absolutely. It acts, I think it's more like a, a hatchback, though, than it is like an SUV. It's kind of being pitched in the marketplace as a small or subcompact uh, crossover. And I... It kind of acts like that, but it's on the smallish side there. But in terms of visceral excitement, well, it certainly has that, doesn't it? Absolutely. And Chris, uh, thanks so much for being with us on the show. I think we're coming to the end of uh, this edition of America on the Road. And of course, you do a great job uh, co-hosting there from Maine. And I, I hope you have a terrific week going forward here. You as well, Jack. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I will say that if you want to see pictures and some more uh, commentary on the vehicles we review on the show, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at Teague Drives. That is at T-E-A-G-U-E Drives on both platforms. I'd love to see you there. And we'd love to have you tune into the podcast version of America on the Road. Of course, we air on the Sports Map Radio Network across the country. We appreciate that, and we appreciate you joining us this time next week for another edition of America on the Road. And please look for the America on the Road podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So uh, with that, we will send you on your way and look forward to talking to you again next time on another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new or used car, or you just want auto information, go to DrivingToday. That's DrivingToday.com. DrivingToday.com the official automotive website of America on the road.